Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I'm your host, Nate Aiken. With me today are my brother, John Aiken and Josh Redberg. We're uh, taking a short break from our study of Hebrews to now focus on Advent, specifically on how the women Matthew includes in the genealogy of Jesus provide a fascinating glimpse of God's grace. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss uh, the genealogy in Matthew 1 and Tamar, uh, specifically the first woman listed in the genealogy. And so let's just jump in right there. John, why does the New Testament open with a genealogy? Well, Matthew's obviously trying to make the the connection between Jesus being the offspring of Abraham and the and the son of David um, to prove that he's the Messiah. I mean, so that, so this is about the this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is not a last name, right? It's 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 the title. He's the Messiah, and so it's linking him to the promises to David and linking him to the promises to Abraham and showing how that even the 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 in the background, the Genesis three offspring promise, God has preserved that, and God has has kept that promise moving forward. Josh, things you would add there? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It's it's telling us they we're about to receive the answer for everything written in the first thirty nine books of the Bible. So everything there is looking forward, asking the same question that has its roots in Genesis three: Who is the Son? Who's going to set things right? Who's going to Who's going to make um, everything b- bad come untrue? Who is the son? Is the that driving question that goes from the from Genesis three on and Matthew one sort of just here it is and let's let's rehearse the entire story basically in a list of names and so it ties everything um, in the past to Jesus and even as what we try to do here it's showing us that all of that Old Testament teaching was intended to point us to Christ. And I think too, let me just make this point real quick. Uh, Some people make, uh, some scholars try to show this connection. The the, the last book, to to Josh's point, the last book in the Hebrew canon is 2 Chronicles. And it's it's detailing the end of the exile, um, the first year of Cyrus and so forth. Uh, and then he he it says in the last verses he has charged me Cyrus is saying this about God he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judea whoever is among you of all his people may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up and the next word in scripture is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ so he he's the one who's who's building and that that house language too obviously Second Samuel seven. Um, there's massive connections there. It's both Mm -hmm. a a house in terms of the temple and a house in terms of the dynasty of David, God keeping his promises to David. Let me ask a a broader question about genealogies, and then we'll come back to Matthew 1. Uh, Josh, have you preached genealogies in particular in Matthew, maybe even Matthew 1 specifically? Yeah, I've I've preached this passage, and primarily this one. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's something in the Old Testament I preached as well. Um, but I think I think it's a story. The names are just a way of telling a story. Um, I actually I used a big non-theological word when talking about this uh, amortization. You know that's that list you get in the the thousands of forms when you pay your mortgage, which basically shows every year like you'll pay this. This is the amount of principal, this amount of interest till thirty years later it's paid off. 
in one sense, that's what a genealogy is. It's saying like, this is the record of the promises God made and how he kept those promises. And so like this, it's really a beautiful passage of God's grace in dealing with humanity. And so I think that's the way in which we're supposed to look at this particular one. I know different ones in the Old Testament sometimes have a different purpose. You know, Genesis 5, for instance, it's it's showing, you know, this sort of record of deaths leading up till till Noah. Um, but but this one is a is a promise of grace from the beginning and it's showing the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So I think it really it's not just a list of names, it's a list of stories, and each story is another um, picture of God's grace in, in fulfilling his promises. John, we may have talked about this in previous podcasts, but sometimes people either skip the genealogies when they're preaching or they'll do just a kind of quick overview and then get to the next part of the text. How do you sort of uh, approach those typically? Again, generally genealogies and then maybe specifically if you preach Matthew 1. Yeah, so so one, all scripture, right, is is breathed out by God and is profitable. And so there's different genres. Um, and, and so some people might like the logic of the epistles better, or they might like the narrative portions better. But the genealogies, is, as Josh said, are telling a story and it's not just telling a story about the specific individuals who are in the story, although it does pick up all of that. It's telling mainly the story of God's faithfulness to his promises mm-hmm. and to his people. Um, and so these like family trees are incredibly rich theologically. Um, and so, yes, I think you sh- I, don't, I don't think you should avoid them in your quiet time. I don't think you should avoid them in, you know, when you're preaching through books of the Bible. Genesis 5 is this record of the reign of death. It's also a record of all of the genealogies in some level are pointing back to Genesis one, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis three is the offspring of the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Mm. And so you have, yes, all these people are dying, but the seed promise is being carried on generation after generation. So there is, there is life out of death. Like as you know, life has the final word in Genesis five, death doesn't. And, and they're even, they're asking the questions like, when he's naming his son Noah and he's going to give us rest from the curse of the ground. Like, is this the one Genesis three was promising? Uh, Ruth's genealogy is the answer. You talk about um, the, this being the answer to the question of the old Testament. Ruth's genealogy is the answer to the issue of the period of the judges and mm-hmm. everybody doing what's right in their own eyes and no King in Israel. Uh, Chronicles is really telling the story from, from Adam like the whole Old Testament story, right? From Adam uh, to exile. Um, and then you have this one. And so, I, yes, I preached this one. I think Josh preached it as part of it, like an Advent series yeah. as he was walking through some of the stuff that we're going to be walking through. I, um, first church I pastored, we walked through the book of Matthew. And so um, I think I think we started, we started at, in December, Advent, and did Matthew 1 and 2, through the end of the year and then picked up, uh, Matthew, you know, the rest of the year kind of spent a year in Matthew, but yeah, preached through it. And just, again, made those, those connect, made the connections of to Abraham and to David. And then also made the, um, made the connections of the, the ladies and the story of redemption and grace that's being told, even as they're picking up these names. Josh, you've preached it. So what's the basic structure of the, of the chapter one? Well, it divides it into three time periods. And so um, the first one, Abraham to David, David to the exile, exile to the Messiah. And so I traced it as the promises. So promise made um, in the first section, 
uh, starting not just with Abraham, really looking to Genesis 3, but then how that promise is reiterated, made to, made to Abraham about his descendants. A promise expanded was sort of the section, section talking about David and how it becomes this royal promise in a much clearer way. Uh, and then the, th- the third section, the exile, um, was, was promise broken question mark you know it appears that the promises may have failed at this point did they really fail and that led into the actual description of um the promise made to uh joseph and mary um at the end which would be promises kept and so i i trace the sort of ongoing promise from genesis 3 to the fulfillment in christ in those in those sort of segments john anything you want to say there no, I, I I like his his flow. That's basically what I use as well. And and John, you made mention that Josh did this in an Advent series. In particular, you focused the Advent series on the women in the genealogy. Um, Josh, could you talk a little bit about uh, how you kind of handled this in the sermon and why you uh, chose the Advent series that you did? Well, one is there's there's five women listed in it, so it really works well for the weeks of Advent. And so as someone who <laughs> preaches and you're looking for new Advent series, that's one. Two, it just is a little different a way to look at the promise of God and how it's fulfilled. Um, they're, they're uniquely mentioned. It's so interesting, and we're going to get in this over the next few weeks, but the women in the genealogy, the ones listed here, all of them have very interesting very unique and I would say very surprising stories. And so looking at Advent as the the God's fulfillment of grace, his promise of grace, you see it so clearly in the lives of these women, you know, from from the horrible events in the life of Tamar to Rahab, whose nickname is the prostitute, to Ruth, the Moabitess, Bathsheba, and the, the sin with David, and then even Mary, who's, you know, an unmarried virgin who, you know, ends up conceiving uh, miraculously, like each one of those sort of uniquely uniquely shows the grace of God in the way he fulfills his promise. So it's not not just the grace in fulfilling a promise, but how he does it sort of in a very personal way in the lives of these women. Of the, of the five, which woman did you find hardest to preach about? I mentioned this, I think, on the Tamar podcast, but... That was the one where I, I remember sitting there the week leading up to it, like I'm getting ready to like deeply study and coming out like for my study an hour or two later and saying to my wife, like, what was I thinking? Um, now, I didn't, one of our other pastors preached Bathsheba, so that might have been ju- just as difficult. Um, but but for the ones I did, Tamar was the trickier one, Just just how to handle some of the events there in a way that was... Uh, tasteful, particularly with, you know, some younger people in the room. What are you talking about? John, as you, (laughs) (laughs) John, as you worked through that, uh, when you preached Matthew one, or just even think through how to teach it well, how did you kind of emphasize the lives of the women? uh, And then maybe address the same question. I know you've talked a little bit about the Tamar uh, story, but uh, anything you would add to what Josh has talked about? Yeah. So one, um, I'm doing that this Advent, and so as I found myself studying this week, I repeated Josh's question to myself, <laughs> what in the world was I thinking? Uh, but I think it'll be fun because of all the things that he he mentioned, and because I do think it shows just the grace of God and the messiness and the brokenness of the world, and, and I think that will resonate with our people. And so 
Um, thankful to do that. I, I, I do think one, just one other emphasis that I had, um, and, and that we kind of tried to trace in Matthew as we were preaching, as we were preaching through it is at least three of these five women we believe are, are Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so the inclusion of the nations in the, the inclusion of the nations, isn't something that waited for the great commission. This is something God is doing from the beginning uh, with the promise to Abraham, and we're seeing even in the even in the 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 birth, you know, the lineage of Jesus, we're seeing how this is is working out with Rahab being included, and then with Ruth being included, and and um, and so. But I do think, yes, you got to be very careful to make it as PG as possible when you're explaining the backstory of um, you know just how how babies are made and the some rebellious sexual stuff that's happening and and then and then the delicacy of addressing exactly what is happening between David and Bathsheba there's been lots of debate about that in recent years mm -hmm. and in a christmas series i probably wouldn't want to get into that as much um and so it would mainly just focus on hey david is sinning against bathsheba he's sinning against uriah um and and just kind of leave it at that because because I, I obviously have my opinions on that but I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to have to preach a a cleanup sermon to 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 deal with something that you know this sermon didn't necessarily have to um, major on yeah Josh I mean you know when we preach typically we're asking is there anything in this text going to be really hard for somebody to believe or even just if an unbelievers here. And I'm going to have to explain. I mean, John's John's getting into that a little bit. So when you preached some of these, particularly maybe Tamar, I guess you didn't didn't do the the narrative on Bathsheba. How did you try to handle the more tricky things, specifically thinking you might have more unbelievers than normal, even at a Christmas kind of Advent series? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that's powerful about it is we in all of our Hallmark Christmas movies try to we sanitize Christmas. And most people's lives aren't nearly as clean as those movies are, right? Like life's messy, life's difficult. A lot of the people sitting there are in some serious brokenness. They're in pain. They're suffering. Maybe they've been victims of, of sexual abuse or broken mm -hmm. by sexual sin, things like that. So in one sense, I think it really deals maybe more helpfully at times and sometimes the the more polished, more sanitized things we would tend to think. Like if it's just happy, 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 it does it really deal honestly with the lives that people are living. Um, Christmas is hard for a lot of people. Their families are hard. They've got a lot of brokenness in it. And so I, I, I'm going through Ecclesiastes, just finishing Ecclesiastes now on Sundays. And so it, it's been amazing to me how that has resonated with people, just the honesty about brokenness in the world. And I think an Advent series like this in its messiness helps helps people connect the grace of God to real life. Like life is messy. Like life is not easy. There are tough questions. And so that's why I think you want to handle it with enough so they understand what's happening. But more than anything, you're tr I think in some of these stories, you're trying to help them feel the weight of what's happening. So I know in the mm -hmm. Tamar one, I actually spent a lot of time talking about Judah and Judah's sort of downward progression of sin that led him to this point. Um, and so even though it was, you know, about Tamar, a lot of it was spent on him because you want to feel the weight of, of like the sin that's there because that's what makes the grace 
so shocking in that story. Um, and, and I think that's one of the unique things here. I think another thing you would ask why to do it is because I don't preach a lot of sermon series where the fi- primary characters are women. And that's okay. As you read through the Bible, like m- most of the primary characters are men, but women have this vital role to play. And I think it's easy, particularly when you're, th- you're theologically compliment- complementarian like we are, which is because it's what the Bible teaches, the, like that you you can sometimes overlook or downplay the role of women. And I, I love how this doesn't. And so I think that's another unique, unique aspect to focusing on these women. And that makes it maybe even hit home, particularly to a portion of the congregation that you may not address quite as directly as often um, in the sermons. John, do you know any helpful resources on Ecclesiastes? There is a groundbreaking book. Um, <laughs> It's, it's uh, S one's book. No, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, hopefully that one's helpful. Uh, there are some, there's a lot of good resources on Ecclesiastes, so I I'll let another praise me and not my own lips. <laughs> I did use John's commentary. book. It was excellent, though. I gave him a hard time on the the chapter later in the book that's like seven <laughs> through ten. I'm like, oh, that was that was helpful when I didn't want to preach four chapters in one sermon. But it was it was really hard for one through six. (laughs) Yeah, one through six and eleven and twelve were knockouts. (laughs) That's good stuff, John. You're doing this as an Advent this time around. Is there an overarching theme to the whole sermon series other than just Advent? Yeah, this is more diehard than Hallmark. This is a diehard (laughs) Christmas movie instead of Hallmark. This is a true Christmas movie, no matter what anybody says. As Uh, is Lord of the Rings. Like the Apparently. Fellowship of the Ring leaves, yes. they leave Rivendell out into the world at Christmas time. So another, another great Christmas hey, movie. I'll count it. Um, th- those movies are great. I hope they'll write another book so we can get some sequels. <laughs> I don't remember Die Hard the book. No, I don't either. I, it's probably not out there. So yeah, the the overarching theme. So we're taking the Advent theme, and so basically this idea that that Josh was. Um, you know, kind of explaining is like the first week is the hope candle, right? So it's going to be hope in in the midst of brokenness and then, and then joy in the midst of, of dysfunction and, and peace despite our sin, that, that, that kind of thing. So just really highlighting the grace of God in how the, and how the, the G the Christmas story does inform. It's not just reading forward to Jesus, but reading back how, how the grace of the gospel informs these stories as well. Guys, any final words about particularly Tamar's story in the genealogy and and Advent uh, before we kind of get out of here? I mean, I think it's just a beautiful story of God, including someone who not only uh, sinned against someone, you see this part primarily in Mm -hmm. Judah, but also including one who was so tragically sinned against. And so what what greater hope at Christmas is that God redeems both the sinner and the victim of sin? I mean, who does that not touch? Most of us um, don't fall maybe specifically into just one of those categories. There's, there's both in our lives. Like we've been sinned against and we are sinners and God redeems all of that. And so I think his grace in redeeming both of them, Judah and Tamar, and, and including them in the line of the Messiah is just is remarkable for those who are coming to the Advent season trapped in sin and those who are coming feeling the weight of being sinned against.
Yeah, I think the, the only things that I would add, I mean, there's just so much in there. I, I love what Josh was talking about with the the, the downward trajectory of of Judah. So I would I, a couple of things I just highlight, like Judah does not have his family in order, right? And and his, his sons are are being judged by God, and instead of repenting, and instead of dealing with that, he tries to shield himself. You know, like well, I don't want to mm-hmm. give my third son and to, to Tamar because of these, these things that are happening. And so instead of him dealing with his house, dealing with his brokenness, he just continues on until he does finally, and he's a contrast with Joseph, um, where Joseph in the very next chapter is going to refuse to be impure, even though he can make every excuse in the book for why he's been mistreated. And, 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 you know, I just going to make the best out of a bad situation, but he's faithful. And so God works his plan despite Judah's unfaithfulness, mm-hmm. but he uses Joseph's faithfulness, but, but that it's going to give Judah an opportunity later to offer his life in exchange for his brother mm-hmm. and how that points to Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so there's just, there's so many ways to, to highlight the Jesus story from this, um, from this story uh, of Judah and then Joseph, they're being told kind of simultaneously with Joseph, obviously getting them the massive amount of attention uh, but it just, again, it highlights the grace of God. And no matter how you mess up, no matter how badly your family's messed up, God can still work in the midst of that and use you out of that, which is incredibly encouraging. Good stuff, guys. Well, thank you for listening to the Christ Center Clear podcast. Join us next week as we continue the story of Advent by looking at the second woman listed in the genealogy, that being Rahab. We'll see how the grace of God changes her legacy and rescues her family from destruction. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.